0: In an article entitled The Notion of God, on which this podcast is partially based, Richard Ruhr highlights the anthropologist David Buchdahl's view of the significance of our notion of God. Since, and I quote, the character of a culture is heavily influenced by the notion of God that predominates within it. In this podcast, I hope to explore our own understanding of God and how that shapes not only our own life, but impacts the very values and attitudes found in the larger society. So kick back, grab that cup of brew, and let's get started. If we believe in God, then what is it that we believe about the God we believe in? the answer to that question will define who we are. How we understand God is how we understand ourselves. And how we understand ourselves is how we often understand God. Sometimes we make God in our own image. But the answer to that question of what I believe about God will be shaped by many things our own upbringing and the faith of our family, what we've been taught, what we've read, by the God language we and others use, artwork, images, how we see others living their faith, and of course, by our own experience of God. It is said that God never changes, but our understanding of God will change. That's why it is important to continually grow in our understanding of God and not be overly convinced that our notion of God at this point is fully correct or fully complete. We know in Old Testament times, no images of God could ever be constructed, nor was God's name even to be said. We know the second commandment, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. When I was growing up, it meant not to say Jesus, Christ, or Jesus Christ in any way other than with respect, reverence, or in prayer. However, in Old Testament times, name was not about the word used to identify someone. Name referred to one's nature, essence, character. If you were buying a car and someone said to you, get a Ford. It's a name you can trust. It's not referring to the word F-O-R-D, but rather to the quality of the parts, the highly skilled and professional workmanship, the customer service, safety record, the warranties, and the price. In other words, it's the quality, character, and features that make up that car, that makes it a car we can trust. To know someone by name goes far beyond a particular word. Once we give God a name, title, a label, or paint pictures, build statues, or use various imagery, and allow those words or pictures to cement us into a particular view of God, we have now put the nature of God in a box. And that is how we sin against the second commandment, by regulating God's nature to only certain images or words by which our relationship with God can then become stilted. There's a song from my parents' generation and I always picture God singing it to us. Don't fence me in, it's on YouTube. God says, yes, I'm a father, but I'm also a mother. Yes, I'm a spirit but I'm also a person. Yes, I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a rock. Yes, I am light, but I'm also bread. I'm a king, but I'm also a servant. Yes, I'm the creator of all, but I'm also a mother hen with her chicks. I'm all these things and so much more. So don't fence me in. On the other hand, we humans have to use words and everyday images to come to understand and know God and to express who this God is. Jesus himself did the same thing in helping to reveal God so we can know God. But we need to always be mindful that our words and images of God will always fall short. God's totality and Trinity is far beyond what any mere human word, picture, or image can capture. So they cannot and must not restrict, limit, or reduce God's nature, essence, or divine mystery. All notions of God will always be incomplete. So when we hear of different words, or see different images of God. We don't have to defend our own, but can actually reflect on how those new words or images might broaden our own notion of God. What is your notion of God? Has it ever changed? I want to get my wide lens out. To look at influences of our notion of God in a society and culture. Not to get political, I think we're all tired of politics, but it's important to realize that while my notion of God is personal, it is not private. It's what I bring into my relationships, to my family and friends, to my workplace, my neighborhood, It's what frames my worldview. So I think it's important to see the consequences of notions or images that might limit our understanding of God. Shortly, I will talk about two different pieces of artwork, one probably more famous than the other, but they are both popular in their circles. I want to show these two images of God because our own individual view of God will either reinforce or challenge the cultural and societal notions of God. Let me say up front, neither of these pictures are wrong. They both show a particular aspect of the total essence of the divine trinity. They each have the power to shape our own image of God and thus influence our beliefs expressed in words and behaviors, our values, principles, and the attitudes which we bring into the public square. But before I bring these two paintings into our reflections, I want to give some context that I think is important. Most religious art throughout the early and middle ages was commissioned by the church in paintings, stained glass windows, statues, frescoes, etc. And the church headquartered from the early centuries in Rome was itself rooted in the white Anglo-Saxon race. As European countries moved throughout the world, colonizing parts of Asia, Africa, and North, Central, and South America, the Church then followed in those footsteps and moved throughout the world, bringing the Catholic faith. This connection between Anglo-Saxon expansion and the missionary movement of the Church was further deepened by Pope Alexander VI in 1493, he issued a papal decree called the Doctrine of Discovery. Its aim was to justify Christian European explorers claiming land and waterways they allegedly discovered if those land and waterways were inhabited by non-Christians. The U.S. Supreme Court, in the 1823 case Johnson versus McIntosh, Chief Justice John Marshall's opinion in the unanimous decision held, and I quote, that the principle of discovery gave European nations an absolute right to new world lands. Essentially, Native Americans could be wiped out. This doctrine promoted the Anglo-Saxon Christian domination and superiority throughout the Americas. That is part of our history. It's just the reality of what happened. What notion of God might have supported such a posture in approaching other lands and peoples. Now for the artwork. My first artwork example is Michelangelo's beautiful painting of creation on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Vatican. It began in 1508 just 15 years after the doctrine of discovery, God is imaged as a powerful older white male up in the heavens, creator and ruler over all. While the church commissioning religious art, God was often portrayed in the image of a powerful white male. A side note, One of the holy cards at my mom's funeral five years ago was a traditional picture of Joseph and Jesus as a toddler on his lap. Both have blonde hair and are white. In much more recent times, various cultures and races are also depicting divine images in ways that represent themselves, which is not bad in itself. But with such a long and prevailing history of Christian Anglo-Saxon influence throughout the world, we might ask how this has shaped our own country and culture. Our predominantly Christian forefathers said, all men are created equal but we know that it did not include Black people, Native people, Asian people, or women. Over our history, might we wonder how is it that many slave owners were Christian? How, during the capital siege on January 6, people carrying Jesus saves us signs We're standing shoulder to shoulder with armed people, beating up the police and shouting, hang Mike Pence. How in a predominantly Christian country, does racism continue? Might there be a connection between how some groups understand God and the dynamics in our country that have come front and center over these past two years? Are there social and cultural implications to how we image God and think of God as Richard Rohr contends that there are implications? There's another popular painting entitled, Jesus in the Breadline by Fritz Eckenberg. Except for a lighted halo around his head, Jesus is indistinguishable from the other poor beggars. What notion of God does that represent? Is that the image that energizes a highly diverse movement of people against racial inequality among our brothers and sisters? What notion of God might support people who are strong advocates for those who are poor, homeless, the immigrant, and refugees? Neither Michelangelo's or Eckenberg's view of God is wrong in themselves, but they are both incomplete because God can be seen both as a powerful male creator and an unrecognizable, poor, homeless beggar. But that can't be all God is. God is so much more. So don't fence God in. Remembering that the character of a culture is influenced by the notion of God that predominates within it. How is your own image of God shaped by the forces around you? Images you see, words that you hear. Does your notion of God reinforce or challenge our society today? I want to end the way we started. How we see and understand God shapes how we see ourselves and others. It colors how, when, where we experience God. Do we experience God only in power? Or can we also find God in the suffering and vulnerability of others? Do we only see God in church? Or in all of creation around us? Our notion of God also defines how we express God in our own life and what influences we bring to the society in which we live. Do we reinforce, challenge, or maybe both? One last thing to note. All of us have a notion of God, an idea of who this God is, for one reason only. It is because God's deepest desire is to be known. God wants a relationship with each of us. So God comes in many ways we can understand. The more ways, images, and words we have, then the more we can expand our understanding and experience of God, and the deeper our relationship can become. I close with a line that Jesus said to Philip. It's found in John 14 verse 9. It happened on the night before he died. Jesus is telling his disciples that he and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. In fact, Jesus says to those there, You already know the Father. You have already seen him because you have known and seen me. Then Philip, who to this very day I have no doubt regrets opening up his mouth, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. Jesus replied, Philip, have I been with you all this time, and still you don't know me? Let me suggest that this statement is meant to accompany us through life. Insert your own name in Jesus' reply. Marion." I've been with you your whole life, and still you don't know me? Let's do something about that. Let's continue our journey of expanding and getting to know the fullness of the divine mystery. I am delighted and honored to introduce our guest today. Tuning in from San Diego, California, is Sister Maria de Paz, a fellow Sister of St. Francis of Philadelphia. And among all the sisters, she is best known as Peaches. She entered in 2016 and was professed in 2019, and she remains a temporary professed sister in our congregation. She currently ministers at the University of San Diego, and she works in student affairs supporting student success and is a resident minister living on campus, and she has worked in higher education for a number of years. So, Peaches, I welcome you to this podcast. Thank you so much, Mary, thank you for having me. In our podcast we've been talking about the notion of god and how that can change and so peaches i want to know has your notion of god ever changed and what sparked that change
1: that's a really good question marion and yes my experience of god has changed over time and i want to give three very distinct examples in my life the first one is after i graduated from college i I signed up for a two year volunteer program and I was stationed on uh, the middle of an island in Micronesia um, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so it was so interesting because throughout those two years in my prayer life, I I tend, the the gospel passages that drew me the most in my prayer were any gospel passages around bodies of water. So whenever Jesus was preaching around the Lake of Galilee or when, for example, Peter was on the boat Um, And Jesus was out on the water and even though the boat was rocky that Jesus was always there with me. So that was just such a beautiful way that I experienced God in my time there on the the island and it was probably experienced such a close relationship with that image. And then fast forward a year later when or when I came back to the US, and I was no longer living on the island. I was struggling in my prayer life a little bit. And when I asked my spiritual director, why that was happening, she brought up a really good point and said, well, you know, Peaches, you're not living on an Island anymore. You're back in the U S you're a different person. And so of course my prayer life was going to change. My relationship with God was going to change. So I learned that really important lesson um, earlier on. The second image that I want to bring is when I at first entered the novitiate as a sister of St. Francis of Philadelphia. I moved to the mother house in Philadelphia after living in Washington state for three years. And within the first month of novitiate, the image that struck me in my prayer life was the image of Jesus on a hike. And if anyone who's familiar with the Pacific Northwest, we know that hiking is such a big part of that culture. And so I just had this image of Jesus with his hiking stick. And he was with me on this, you know, trail. And I could see the trail ahead of me. And it had, you know, mountains and valleys, so highs and lows. So, you know, I knew in this novitiate experience that there were going to be some challenges and moments of grace and that God and Jesus was going to be with me throughout all of that. So that's another, you know, really foundational um, experience of God in my life. And then the most recent experience was this past summer when the racial tension became back to the forefront um, last summer. I was really struggling um, with it in my prayer life. And so when I brought it to prayer, I had this image of God as if it was creation when God was first creating the world. And my image of the world was this beautiful garden and there were different flowers, different herbs, bushes, trees, And it was all beautiful. And in my prayer life, you know, all these different flowers and trees represented the different cultures and races that God created. And I felt God crying and and weeping for us because the original idea of creation that he originally intended for us was causing, that we were causing division within ourselves and and not seeing the beauty of, of the original creation.
0: And I noticed that your various images of God includes all three persons of the Trinity. Can you share a little bit about that too?
1: So Marianne, you mentioned about the Trinity and the images of God being from different persons of the Trinity, and you're right. That is a pattern that I noticed myself. For Catholics, the Trinity is such a mystery. You know, Sometimes we understand what it is and we'll never fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. But for me, I relate to different persons in the Trinity depending on, you know, my life stage. So for example, I had a really good relationship with my dad, I still do growing up. And so the image of God the Father was so strong for me in my childhood and in my upbringing. And then another example that I think of when I was working for a community college out in Washington state, and I was working as an advisor and during my days where I would meet with nine, 10 students a day, I would pray the Holy Spirit to be with me as I was speaking with the students, advocating for them, listening to them. Um, And so the image of the Spirit was really present in my prayer. And so it really depends on what's going on in my daily life, what stage I am in. And there are, you know, I relate to the three persons of the Trinity very differently.
0: Thank you uh, for your sharing on all that. And I love the insights that you bring. And I love how you're expanding notion of God in um, your everyday life, which is really the only place where we can encounter God. And along with all these various images and uh, persons of the Trinity, I'm sure that has helped also to deepen and strengthen your own relationship with God, the more images and the more ways that you can experience God. So thank you for sharing that with us. Peach, as I mentioned, the doctrine of discovery in 1493. Can you speak to that history from your perspective? And has it had an impact on your faith? Do you see that there's a connection? Yeah, thank you for asking that
1: question, Marian. So I was born in the Philippines actually and my family immigrated over to the US when I was three And so I remember when I was learning about the Philippines, um, Spain actually, um, you know, colonized the Philippines and the Philippines has a 500 year history of being colonized, not just by Spain, but other countries, including the US. And so it's part of our our culture, um, part of something that I continue to feel the effects of. And so um, that is something that has even influenced my faith as well as, as you've pointed out, made an impact on that. You know, I grew up in the U.S. Catholic Church, and I never really saw images of saints or God that looked like myself. So, you know, when I would go to church and I would look at the stained glass windows and I saw the sculptures, or even when I went to Sunday school and I looked at the books that we used, I never saw anyone who looked like me. So now in my adulthood and um, in my prayer life, I always think to myself, you know, the term Catholic means universal. You know, what would the church look like if we truly embraced this identity of a universal church and expanded our image of God? You know, what would God look like as a mother or as a person of color?
0: Thank you for that. Peaches, I'm delighted that you've been here today. And um, thank you for um, giving us some time today to share your own personal Uh, journey of expanding and coming to know God in different ways, different images of God, different notions of God, and how that has related to your own life. You have enriched our uh, conversation today. And then from your growing up in the U.S. church, as someone from a Filipino background, has certainly uh, put some flesh on some of the things we've talked about in our podcast today. So I thank you very much and we wish you all the best and blessings on you and on your ministry in uh, San Diego.
1: Well, thank you so much, Marion, for the invitation and for
0: listening and for this podcast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you for spending this time with us in exploring the notion of God and its connection to cultural and societal life. Join us next time in mid-August, when we consider the Our Father. Is it a prayer or is it a way of life? In the meantime, peace and all good. And remember, the world is bright when we bring the light.